0: Hi, my name is Stephen.
1: Hi, I'm April.
0: This is the 3Pi Squared ABA Business Leaders Podcast, where we discuss topics on how to create and grow an ethical and sustainable ABA practice.
1: Together, Stephen and I owned a seven figure ABA practice that provided both clinic and in home services.
0: 3Pi Squared has helped over 900 ABA practices start up and expand with our comprehensive products and services geared specifically. ABA. Now, let's get to the podcast. Something that we're always saying is that you need an accountant right away when you start your practice. You focus on the science and they can focus on the numbers. You definitely want to reach out to Margin Keepers. They are your trusted experts in ABA accounting, business consulting, and tax services.
1: With in-depth knowledge of the applied behavior analysis field, they tailor financial statements to highlight what's vital for ABA companies to analyze, saving you time and effort. Running an ABA practice comes with unique challenges. That's where they step in, helping you identify cost-saving strategies and ensuring compliance.
0: And when tax season rolls around, you can count on margin keepers to make sure all your tax-related boxes are checked. Compliance is key.
1: Concentrate on the science and leave the accounting to Margin Keepers. Reach out today at 954-395-8107 or visit www.marginkeepers.com. All right, so I'm going to start off. Um, today we have with us Eric Dubuque. Um, so thank you for coming, Eric. We really um, are happy. Sorry. Um, oh, sorry. Thank you for Okay, well, we'll start start over over again. Again. Okay, so (laughs) today we have with us Eric Dubuque, PhD, LBA, BCBAD. Uh, He serves as the director of the Autism Commission on Qualities industry-wide accreditation program designed to promote quality care for individuals with autism. He's a former assistant professor with over a, de- a decade of experience coordinating, advising, teaching, and supervising students across three graduate training programs in applied behavior analysis domestically and internationally. His professional, voluntary, and scholarly activities have centered around quality control and the training and application of behavior analysis. As an accreditation administrator, expert witness, licensure board chair, and consultant, Dr. Dubuque has shaped legislation, regulations, and policies designed to protect the public and increase access to effective and ethical applied behavior analytic services for individuals with autism. So thank you, Eric. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thank you, I really appreciate the invitation.
1: Absolutely. Um, Well, so as we often do here, we're just going to have a conversation. So, Eric, tell us a little bit about what we know as the ACQ.
2: Sure. So uh, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm the director of the Autism Commission on Quality. And usually when I talk about ACQ, um, I like to talk about why we exist. Um, And I also like to share my own personal motivations for wanting to serve in this role uh, to help facilitate and promote uh, quality standards within our field. And so, as you noted in the intro, um, I spent about a decade there working within graduate training programs, helping to prepare providers for career and behavior analysis. And my research interests um, while working in these programs, um, one of the lines I was looking at was looking at access to quality services. And what I noticed when um, my students were graduating from the from my programs is there's a high degree of variability in the quality of the service providers that they ended up working for, some excellent providers doing just really innovative and wonderful work, and then some maybe not so much. And I had a lot of conversations, and there's just a concern about the variability in quality and the quality of services, and that really bothered me because I know that the promise that ABA can have in terms of changing lives, uh, just as I'm sure you all do, um, and we were not fulfilling our potential as an industry um, in trying to ensure that the patients and families that we serve are accessing quality services. And so when the Council of Autism Service Providers uh, put out a call indicating that they wanted to start a nonprofit accreditation program, wanted somebody to lead it, I thought that this would be a way for me to help to contribute and try to live within my values uh, by throwing my hat in the ring. And I was very fortunate that they picked me up. Part of the reason why I was really excited to work with the work, work with the folks over at CASP is that it's staffed by the same team of autism parents that led autism insurance reform um, across the country for dec for, for around a decade when they worked for Autism Speaks. Mm-hmm. So this includes Vora Unum, Mike Wasmer, and Judith Ursetti. And so one of the things I like to say is when they put out the application um, for somebody to help to lead the initiative for the accreditation program is that regardless of what the job was, I think I would have applied if they were advertising to hire somebody to to dig ditches (laughs) um, because of who is who is hiring. So um, we I joined CASP and started ACQ uh, about a year later uh, in 2021. Um, And it has just been an amazing experience. Uh, And the best part about my job is the conversations and the connections that I get to make with industry leaders uh, and all the various stakeholders that are involved in receiving and delivering services. Um, I strongly believe that an accreditation program needs to be transparent and it needs to be directed by the community it serves. And so one of the things that I'm proud of with ACQ is that we keep that in the forefront, and we ensure that we have strong community representation and that we are always held accountable by the community we serve, and so we think that that's important. Uh, ACQ will never be perfect, um, but it is constantly in evolution, and we are always interested in promoting internally what we promote through our own accreditation program, which is continuous improvement. And so, um, sorry, that was just kind of like a, a little background in terms of how we ended up with ACQ. I can dive into a little bit more about what the program is, if you like.
1: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, that that was a really great background because, you know, um, I've had several conversations with other, um, you know, BCBAs in the field in the last couple of months, and they hadn't heard of ACQ yet. So, um, I think it's important to kind of give all the information possible to help others know, like, why... why why it exists and, and who you guys are. And so definitely, I think that that's um, exciting. Those groups, the group of people who have gotten together, I think that's really exciting because I, I know that they've, you've guys have all done great things um, in our field, you know, already. So I'm yeah, excited to true. see what further things can happen.
2: The, the uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier that one of my, personal interest, we're trying to address some of the variability in the quality of services. And that's really why ACQ exists. Mm -hmm. So ACQ exists to try to break down and address the barriers that are preventing patients from accessing quality care, specifically as it relates to ADA, obviously. And so um, that's what we're trying to do here. Um, We are a subsidiary of CASP, which is a known and trusted entity. And so ACQ is funded and receives in-kind support from CASP. But what's really important is that we have an operating agreement with CASP, which prevents any organization, including CASP, from having a controlling stake in any of the groups deciding our essential accreditation activities. So around standards development, accreditation determinations, those kinds of things are not decided by CASP. Um, They're decided by an independent independent committees that are formed of all those various stakeholder groups, representatives from those different stakeholder groups, Um, and in this way, it allows us to work. And, you know, be supported by a known and trusted entity while also ensuring that the program has integrity because there is no one group that has a controlling stake over those essential accreditation activities.
0: That's important. And can you kind of just for for the businesses that may be listening at this point or the owners of the businesses that may be listening at this point, how how can you walk us through like the general steps of how they would go into the program, what it feels like, how long it takes kind of thing?
2: Sure. Yeah. So we opened. So we're relatively new. That's one of the reasons why I think we're still getting the word out. And I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to folks as well to do that now. Um, so we opened for applications last October. So we've been a little bit over a year now, um, and it feels feels longer. <laughs> um, and I think. Um, one of the first things we want to we want organizations to do is to download a complimentary copy of our Standards and Guide, which you can get from our website, autismcommission.org. It sent like a commercial there. Um, but the Standards and Guide is freely available, and I think that's one of the things that um, I'm also very proud that ACQ has done. A lot of time and effort has gone into that Standards and Guide, uh, a lot of input from a lot of different people, um, and it's version one. We'll continue to build on it and improve it with your feedback as well. So if you have any feedback, we'd love to hear it. Um, But download that, Um, and what I would say is the first step is to evaluate your own organization using that standards and guide. Um, ACQ is not interested in pressuring organizations, individual organizations, to apply for accreditation. I'm a terrible salesperson. I'm an academic at heart, I think. Um, Here's here's the pitch here. If you look over our standards and guide and think it will improve your operations and are open to a third-party evaluation. That's what we're here for. And so we are here and we want to be able to support and promote quality standards within our industry. We think having a set of industry standards that are developed and promoted by a nonprofit accreditation body is the way to do that. And so um, if you think there's benefits to that third party evaluation, you know, we're here. We'd love to talk with you. Uh, Even if you're just curious about what our review process looks like, um, you know, how our standards development or any of that other stuff, uh, feel free to set set up a meeting with us. We have a contact page to say, hey, heard about your program. We'd love to chat a little bit more. Um, And we'll we'll talk to you about it and we'll share what we know uh, and answer any questions that we can. So first step, download the standards and guide. Second step would be to reach out to us to schedule a meeting. Um, and then the third step is to register an account on the ACQ portal webpage, um, and you need a registration code to do that. And so that's when we do the meeting, we can share that with you. Uh, once we get that information, you would be sent an accreditation agreement um, to be able to review and potentially sign, as well as a BAA, um, and you would be able to submit an application, um, the app- and so, submit an application and the application fee. Now, ACQ as a nonprofit, um, we have a uh, right now a, a base accreditation application fee of $2,000. Um, and one of the things we're trying to track, especially because we're new at this, is how long is it taking us to do these reviews? Because we need to make sure that you know we're not operating in the red when we're conducting our reviews. Right. And so our introductory pricing right now is $2,000 at the base level. And it does scale depending on the number of reimbursable – average number of reimbursable hours – in ABA that that organization does. And so that's some of the information we collect so we can make sure that we are scaling the pricing appropriately. Uh, additionally, if the organization is operating in uh, more than two states, there's an additional fee uh, as new states come on. And that's more detailed than I will probably need to provide right now. But I'm we're certainly happy to review that information with any organization that would like to follow up with us. Sure. No,
1: I think that information is very helpful. And Stephen put the link um, yes. in the comments the here comments. on the live. And then we'll also link in when we um, hear the podcast. We'll yep. put that link in, in those notes as well for, for you guys.
0: Yeah. And I love the idea of the accreditation process. My my background is probably some people listening knows I'm a process engineer, right? So like uh, back in the day when I had a real job, it was like I was working in the automotive and aerospace uh, industry and standards were key, right? And we had to follow these standards. But even in those organizations that, you know, we we were required to follow those standards because that's how we got paid, right? If we didn't follow those standards... We might lose a contract, or we might not be able to get any uh, ongoing work. And uh, but even in those situations, it's easy to kind of say, "Well, this is what we say we do, but this isn't really what we do, right?" And mm-hmm. and so as a, as I am sure that like you know we had third party uh, exter- internal external auditors. I apologize for. Um, you know, they would come, you know, maybe every six months and review our stuff. Um, But they can only look at so much. And I'm sure that that's the way it is with accreditation across the board, right? You see a moment in time, and then, you know, that's it. How do you, Mm -hmm. like, how do you handle that? And how do you kind of hold companies accountable and make sure they're following the standard that they've met over time? And I know that being relatively new. This is probably something that you're just starting to deal with now. Uh, But, you know, can you speak to that a little bit, maybe?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And you're highlighting a really important issue, especially when it comes down to ensuring that, you know, we are accrediting and recognizing organizations that deserve that seal. Um, And so this is the kind of thing that keeps me up at night, by the way, to make sure that we are not providing that seal to an organization that should not have it. So the review process, um, my goal with the review process, uh, there are essentially three pillars to it. One, we want to make sure we're doing meaningful reviews. Uh, we do not want to just be doing check boxes like, okay, this, this, and this, right? So like, for example, glad you have a policy in that, but you're actually implementing that right. policy, right? Uh, the other piece is to make sure we are doing reliable reviews and that we are treating the organizations that apply for accreditation when they're eligible, uh, we're treating them fairly. We're treating them equally right and so that's why we have reliability checks built into the review process as well and we also want to make sure we are doing efficient reviews and the efficiency piece comes from not just acq side of things but also efficiency on the side of the organizations that are applying so here's the deal the best the best regulator is the one that gets the hell out of the way and lets the organization do good work right and we still need to verify what's happening but really, like verify, get the information you need, then get out of the way. Now, ACQ is still new at this. We're still trying to figure out. and We will continue to tighten up our processes to make sure that that's what we're doing. But that is our goal. There is to continually evolve in a way where we're doing meaningful, reliable, and efficient reviews for the organizations that are interested in working with us. Um, in terms of how do you um, how do you ensure that you know the spot check that you did there is actually like being conducted throughout the organization. Accreditation is a little bit like a net, right? And so, and nets have holes in them. It's not perfect. It's not, accreditation is not a panacea. Our goal with the review process is to shrink those holes as much as possible. So as little as possible that's relevant is slipping out, right? And so the way we do that is through a lot of stakeholder conversations where we work with uh, many, many groups to identify where are the largest quality control issues happening in the field. And so, for example, like issues around training and supervision, those always come up. Issues around organizational capacity, those always come up. Um, and so, there are certain issues that come up that are happening within our industry where it, it, causes the reviewers to maybe take a closer look at some of these areas when the organization is applying for accreditation. And so the standards that we have, there's 50 standards right now. The accreditation would last for two years if an organization is approved. Uh, and the organization has to meet all 50 standards. And I can talk about the review process maybe in a little bit, little bit but we <clears throat> not get off topic. <laughs> um, so the, the, the review process, um, really what we're trying to do there is we're trying to ask Some general questions, and we do this with a methodology that includes um, narrative questions, document submissions, KPI submissions, uh, semi-structured interviews with leadership as well as behavior analysts, clinical observations of what the services look like, uh, as well as employee surveys and patient-slash-caregiver surveys. And so that data is taken in together and with that we're able to hopefully identify when there's issues that we need to follow up with the organization on or when it looks like there's verification or evidence that you know the organization appears to be meeting this standard okay um, one of the things that's challenging around this is to make sure we are asking meaningful questions right and so I'll give you an example. Um, And I think this example is a good one because it also highlights ACQ's general approach to standard setting. Um, When we wrote, when the Standards Committee put together the standards, we wanted to make sure that they were applicable to organizations of varying types and took into consideration the, the different types of contextual variables that could impact how they're actually conducting their business and how they're offering their services. And so our standards are mostly written in a way where they're not very prescriptive in a lot of areas, right? And so, for example, like billable hour expectations, right? If you have too high billable hour expectations, you're not going to allow your behavior analyst to be able to do the non-billable activities right. that are actually necessary to be able to provide quality services. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't know what that percentage should be, right? Right. I don't know, like, at what point are you now, like, you know, and it really, and it also depends, right? So yeah. if you have an organization that, has a lot of support in certain areas. Maybe the behavior analyst doesn't need to do a lot of work in these non-billable areas, so they can dedicate more time to billable activities. So ACQ does not have a prerequisite standard around billable hour expectations. However, we do ask organizations to report, what are your billable hour expectations for your your behavior analyst, for example. And we also ask them to report, what are the non-billable activities that you expect your behavior analyst to perform and what is the amount of time, the percentage of time allocated each month to on those activities. That gives us an idea here of whether are they identifying relevant indirect activities or non-billable activities for their behavior analysts and are they documenting what seems like a reasonable amount of time to be able to perform those things given the type of role that they're doing. We also ask organizations to report on the actual billable hours during the last full calendar month. That allows us to make a comparison between this is what your expectations are. Do your expectations match what's actually occurring, right? And so in this way, uh, it gives us an opportunity to try to gauge what's generally happening within without being too prescriptive and to follow up with the organization when it looks like something doesn't seem right here or something seems a little bit off. So it's not like you will immediately fail us that standard, but it looks like your billable, your, your expectations are not matching your actuals. Can you tell us why? Right. And then we can kind of dive into that and see if, like, is this a pattern? Is this a trend? Is this a one off? Um, The other piece I think that's really important um, is once an organization has run through the accreditation process, let's suppose they are, let's suppose they pass. Um, What that means is then um, they are in our directory. And we have a complaints process, a complaints and grievance process, that anyone in the public can submit a complaint or grievance against any organization that's accredited. And we take those complaints and grievances very serious, and we have a process in place to be able to look into those. And if necessary, we have and within our accreditation agreements that organizations sign, like, they can lose their accreditation, it can be suspended, there are disciplinary actions that can be taken. Um, and we need to make sure that we are following up with them, while also offering due process rights to organizations. By the way, we want to make sure that we are uh, doing our due diligence and we are treating organizations fairly. Um, and so, but all that's built in, and I think having that system in place allows us to, you know, hold organizations accountable um, while also trying to uh, be fair about it. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that like the the biggest concern, right. I don't know. Concern, criticism, feedback I get with uh, you know uh, with an accreditation process in general is, hey, I'm doing everything right, um, but I see somebody else has got the stamp, and I've heard yeah. some stuff, right, and I I can't imagine how they got it first place or um or, or why, why we're in the same group, right, and I I think like. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing and like like I said, like this is a difficult process that you are in right now. I'm sure that you have to juggle a lot of things right and even getting that sure. those those complaints is how long does that process take and it, you need to give it the, the, it's the appropriate amount of time so that you can you know follow up and you can find find out what is actually going on. Uh, And then in the meanwhile, we're all kind of sitting back, just kind of twiddling our thumbs, watching what's going on, you know. Mm -hmm. And and so I can imagine having all of that pulling on you at the same time must be very difficult. And I'm just curious, like, how do you juggle that? Or maybe, you know, is that something that you're struggling with? Or how how do you deal with that?
2: Well, I mean how we would deal with it is we would make sure that we are treating organizations fairly first and foremost. And so if a complaint is, so I guess the first thing I would say is if you have concerns about an ACQ accredited organization, you should tell us, right? Like you should tell us. And so we can be held accountable. Now, if you're just going to report a rumor, I heard this going on, you know right. what I mean? Like that's not super useful right. for us in terms of conducting an investigation and looking right. into it further. Um, but if you actually, if there is evidence there to help protect the integrity of the community's accreditation body, you should you should you should help us out because it helps out the industry. And so I'm telling you, if you are seeing you have evidence of somebody violating one of our standards, please follow up. Um, We will not advertise, you know, so-and-so is under investigation over here, it will happen internally. And we will make sure that we offer fair due process rights to the organization. And it does take time. I remember when I was I was serving on the, the chair of the Kentucky Licensure Board. You know, and also running the complaints committee over there and it, you know, folks, you know, we get complaints coming in and we always tried to make sure we treated people fairly and with respect and we made sure we offered the due process rights. And the idea was to um, help. We're not trying to limit access to services. We're trying to improve access to quality services. Right. And so some of the stuff that comes through might be like the organization isn't aware that they're doing it. Right. That. And so maybe this is something like this is probably like, hey, by the way, you have this on your website. You probably should not have this on your website because it's a violation of X, Y and Z. Oh, didn't know that was on there. Let me fix that. Right. And so that kind of stuff maybe can be cleaned up fairly easily, fairly quickly. And then other things, maybe not. Maybe it requires a more in-depth and a more uh, a more serious response.
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm just really I know Stephen had he's had conversations with you. He sat with I don't know, what is it called? The.
0: Did the training, the training. Yeah. Yeah. for like Consulting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, but some of this information is new to me. And so I'm just kind of, I'm taking it all in. It's really interesting. But one of the things that, um, that you said that really, I don't know, I, I just really liked is when you were talking about how you're getting the information and, you know, understanding like for the hours, right, for the supervision hours or the billable versus non-billable, not supervision, but billable versus non-billables for say a BCBA, how, you know, you understand that at this point, there's no specific like way of having a cutoff or a standard, or you should have this amount per, you know, BCBA or per clinic or whatever. So the fact that you're pulling in that information and looking for the red flags, I, I think that's like, to me, that that just makes a lot of sense it's a great way to learn more information to maybe one day know how to set a specific standard um and you know i don't know that just that gives me even more buy-in for the program because you know if you're taking in understanding that it's not so black and white and it's just such a variety right um and just taking in all those um all the information i don't know like i just i was like sitting with that i was like i like that and that you know (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, I mean, thank you. I appreciate that, and I, you know, I can give you a couple of examples here too that talk about why accreditation is important for the industry, especially when it comes to settling these issues. Because we do have a lot of unsettled issues yeah. in our field that are impacting everybody, mm-hmm. and so having a, a group kind of go in and try to set these industry mm-hmm. standards is important, regardless of whether you're accredited or not. It can help stabilize the field for everybody. Yes. And so, an example. Um, so one of the things that happens within our field, um, is the systematic use of the rounding rule or the eight minute rule. Right. And now when I've spoken to folks about this, the use of this, this practice, you have about a third of folks who say that's unethical. You should not be doing that. Another third say it's fine. Uh, and then another third say, what's the rounding rule?" (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, but here's, here's the thing with that, um, in terms of the rounding rule, when you're talking with organizations, there's a lot of confusion about how, even if they are using it systematically, how they're supposed to be using it appropriately. Right. And so when you ask organizations, for example, like for your behavior technicians, what's the expectation when they would be writing the narrative section of their session note? Oh, they'd use the last 10 minutes. That's a problem, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> or they use the last 10 to 15 minutes or, you know, they're just taking the last five to eight minutes. Well. That's a problem. It's probably most more important that it's it, be glad that, you know, I'm catching it and letting in notifying you that this is a problem before all of the that gets recouped from you from the funders. Right. And so but these kinds of things allow us to talk to organizations who think like, hey, I've been doing it this way for years and we've never had a problem. And having a third party evaluator can, can kind of come in and get some confirmation on some of those issues. I can tell you there's, we have had, you know, organizations that have come through and said like, well, you know, we're going to do ACQ a favor, we're going to apply for you guys to show that we support, you know, your accreditation program, but we're going to pass with flying colors. There's no organization that passes with flying colors. Every organization, and this is also true for ACQ, there are areas where we can always improve. Of course. And so part of it is, you know, sure, support industry standards and, you know, but but just know that any organization at any point can fail or pass accreditation. It really, it, it, it depends on what you're coming in with and i think a lot of practices that people think i've been doing it this way for years that doesn't necessarily mean that that is just means maybe you have not been notified that that's probably not the way you're supposed to be yeah you haven't um, you haven't gotten caught yet and, uh,
0: and, and like you know <laughs> that, we, we have the same issues with payroll yeah. and do i have to pay for training or do i not do i have to pay for drive time and do i not it's like, uh, you know don't go on facebook and ask those questions <laughs> talk to an attorney <laughs> Well,
1: <laughs> uh, you, know, you know and that's part of what we do is we Cause like we made mistakes of right course. in our mistakes, in our yes. in our agency in our ABA agency because it's like you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. until you yeah. don't know and then yes. when you do it's like Oops. when you find that out <laughs> sometimes it's it's not a big deal you're talking to someone else or you right. you read some literature and you're like oh okay I need to do this differently how can we make these changes but sometimes it's, 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 it can be deal. a costly situation. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and, and then, you know, we talk to a lot of, um, business owners or BCBAs who are wanting to start their business and they're like, oh, well, the company I worked for did it like this. And so they yeah. just assumed that that's the way to do it. So yeah. I'm going to do it like that. And so that, I mean, that's where these, these standards, the accreditation process is so important because hard. I, yeah. I really like, I see so much like, um, like growth mindset and just like realness of like, Hey, none of us are perfect and that's okay. But how can we all work together to do the best that we possibly can? Because like the whole time you've been talking, I've been like wanting to kind of like say like a little bit of a joke, be like, so define quality, right? Like tell me what quality even means because that's what we talk about so much. What is quality? And, and that's, you know, if we really take a step back you're like, that's a little bit disturbing to for us not to really know how to define define quality yeah. ABA services. Yeah. Not saying that people don't have good ideas and good, you know, but as a field, as a, you know, group, it's like, how, how do we, and of course it's complicated because there's, that's why you guys have like 50 items or whatever. Right. And, and each one of those pieces has it's multiple sections. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I,
2: you make up a you bring up a really good point around, you know, how we're defining quality. And uh, was it uh, Silba, uh, Brian Silva and uh, his colleague Patel, they published that paper yeah a couple yes. of couple yes. years ago, yeah. talked yeah. about yeah. that issue. A yeah. uh, really great piece. But, um, you know, in terms of defining quality, the idea here is with these standards is that, you know, we pulled together a representative and various stakeholder groups that are involved in receiving and delivering services. These folks came together um, and, you know, based on feedback that we received from the community, came together to develop a set of standards that essentially are a set of rules or guides, guidelines that if an organization were to be doing these things, then these services would be of a better quality as defined by those rules than if they were not. That's the general idea, I think, in terms of how we are looking at quality here. Uh, Accreditation doesn't guarantee quality, right? It's it's the idea that uh, this group of representative stakeholders um, have come up with a set of rules that, you know, if you're doing these things, you're more likely to d- deliver better services and a better experience to your consumers than if you are not. That's, I think, part, part of what we're okay. going to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to mention, too, the um, the piece that I think um, you mentioned about organizations not being perfect. Organizations don't need to be perfect. And this is actually one of the misconceptions I think that we sometimes encounter where... You know, I'll hear from somebody and they'll say, well, we want to apply for accreditation, but, you know, we're just, you know, we don't have, you know, all of this stuff set up perfectly. And it's like, okay, there's no, you will probably be working on that your entire time. Oh like, we're not looking for perfection. There's no organization that is perfect. In fact, a lot of, a lot of what we're looking for are these to see if the organization has the appropriate systems and processes in place to identify when there's issues. And not just identify and measure when when issues are occurring, but to be able to respond to them. And so, like, one of the questions we asked during the leadership interviews, and I feel like a priest when I asked this, like, you know, what ethical misconduct has happened within your organization? Right. Like, tell me your sins. Right. Like, what's what's going on? And the idea there is not to um, to shame them or try to, you know, figure out the idea really is to try to understand what is your process? Right. How did you find out about this? how did you respond to it right mm-hmm. And if you did not have the system in place like did you did this incident that you're telling me about that clearly you know was pretty serious for your organization impacted you all um how did you change your operations to try to prevent it from occurring in the future? That's the stuff we're looking for right right it's where it's not perfection yeah. there is no there is no perfection no. it doesn't exist,
0: yeah, even with like our handbooks when i'm I'm going through this with a customer, it's like uh you know, these are living documents like you, they will never be finished. Right. It, as soon as you right. put them on the shelf, uh, something's going to happen and you're going to have to bring them back down and edit them. Right. As you grow and evolve, uh, it, like things are going to change. And one minute you're doing something, you think it's great. And then the next minute you're like, why in the world did I even try this? Right. So like it, yep. this is this, the, the the entire system is built on the fact that you can identify that you're doing something either incorrectly or not to the greatest standard and then how do you take those inputs and then output them so that you have better services, you have better quality um, and you can reduce those errors and, and issues going forward. So yeah, absolutely I mean that's that's kind of it's like uh, it's like kind of living your best life, I guess like living by your intention, right? and and like right. i love the idea cuz you know this is something that we didn't have in our handbooks and i've been reviewing your standard and trying to you know put a lot of that in but the core values um and and i that's something that we're always yeah getting on our soapbox about but it's yeah. like why didn't i have these in my yeah. handbooks right and i haven't so, had like a uh, whole
1: course about yeah, it yeah, but so, yeah, yeah, like not having in
0: having the, like we're always talking, like like you got to have those values so that when you do find yourself in a tough spot, or there's an issue with the company, you can go back and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! What are our values? And how, looking at those values, how should we be handling this situation, right? And then using that continuous improvement process that we've set up, how do we now, you know, move forward and fix these issues that we've we've now found? And so, yeah, I think it's it's great that you you were able to add that to it, and uh, you know, like, how do you as ACQ and CASP um, how do you use your values day to day? You know, cause that's something that we try to teach people how to, cause you know, one of our customers said, yeah, I've heard of a mission statement, right? That's the thing that you put on the website and it's like, yeah, that's it. Right. It has no meaning after right. that. Uh, you know, and we're always t- talking to people, you have to embed this into the day to day work. Um, cause otherwise it's not going to have meaning. So I'm just curious how you all uh, do that, uh, for your company and your practice.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thing is understanding, like, why you're doing it. Right. And um, that's why I tried to articulate that right at the beginning. Like, here's my value is I want to address the barriers preventing access to quality services. And so um, and the within that value there, the high the highlight, the underlying thing is like, like we need to be doing a better, better job for the patients we're serving. We just do as an industry. Now, that's not to say that organizations aren't already serving patients to maybe to the best of their ability, and that's happening. There's excellent, very innovative, and very cool work going on. Um, and I think, you know, you've had your head in the sand if you don't think that there aren't issues happening within our industry. We have a very, very young profession. We have too few of us to be able to serve the expanded need. Um, patients don't have access to services in many, many locations. Uh, our training programs have to step up. Our training programs, you they need to be offering training and education in the actual industries where our providers are working. Instead of just offering a basic verified course sequence, the minimum amount of course content necessary to sit for an exam, that is shameful. Our training programs need to do better. Uh, the first-time pass rate being, what is it, in the mid-60s or something like that, on a, an exam that measures minimal competence... Yeah. That's scary. We need to do better. And I I feel like I can say that a little Mm -hmm. bit because I've taught in training programs. Um, And, you know, some of the financial incentives that are trumping patient care have to change. We cannot have cookie-cutter programming. We need to be individualizing the services we offer because that's what ABA is. It involves treating individual patients as individuals. And so that's one of the things that I think we need to do. So when we talk about value, that's what it is. It's honoring the science and the potential that we have to change lives and making sure that we are doing right by the people we serve. That's what we have embedded, I think, throughout our standards and within our program. And that's the message that we try to promote. The other piece I want to talk about, when an organization runs through accreditation, the goal is not to be punitive. Any organization, I don't care what quality services are offering, anyone that is open to, oh, anyone that opens their front door and allows a third party evaluator to come in to look underneath the hood, like I have a lot of respect for that. Even just doing that and opening themselves up. And so for me, that is that means that we are responsible for protecting that relationship and the trust that they put into ACQ. And so when an organization applies for a credit, they do not share the identity of our applicants. This is also true even when the accreditation, when the reviewer report goes to the accreditation committee who makes the determination. We send de-identified reports to the accreditation committee. And the reason why is because when an organization is going through the application process, we want it to be safe. We do not want it to be aversive. We want to make it show it's educational. We don't want it to be like, oh, my God, you know, if we don't get accredited, you know, we're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm us and everyone's going to know about it. No, if you don't get accredited, and some organizations that apply, you're not going to get accredited. If right. everyone got accredited that applied, you don't have an accreditation for <laughs> Right, right. Checkbox right. yeah. pay-per-play system. Yeah. Right. For us, the goal here is to ensure that we are preserving that trust and to provide good feedback to the organization that can help them improve their operations. Because, quite frankly, just walking through the door is an indication that they are committed to continuous improvement and we want to support that and right. honor that. Right.
0: And and is there anything that maybe is low hanging fruit that you're just seeing as you go through these accreditations and saying everybody's got to start doing this, right? And I know like the there's a lot of things that we could be doing better, uh, and uh, but is there anything that you know just coming out of this, like okay, don't look at my standard, but here at least, at least do this, please. Is there anything that you would give uh, as a new company starting up that that maybe give that advice?
2: Well, I mean, I'll I'll give you a little plug here. So it, it, there there are certain themes that show up, right, and um, and it's interesting because we're getting a better are getting better at trying to get to the core of these issues, so we can help help. organizations that are playing. And I'm going to give you all a little bit of a plug, because I noticed on your website, you have like a policy manual, policy and procedures manual template. Um, And I got to say, like, if you were, especially if you're a newer organization kind of starting out, like, look to that, and maybe understand the difference between an employee handbook, patient handbook, and a policies and procedures manual. I think that would be helpful um, to look to those types of resources. um, Because, you know, They're different. You can use and there's overlap between them, but there's there is also some important distinctions in there. Um, The issue issues around clinical documentation. That's, you know, I mentioned some of those some of those issues earlier. Um, Service authorizations. So one of the areas where we get dinged is around um, treatment utilization. Right. So the funders are like, well, you know, you all are not utilizing the hours that you claim that you're requesting or, you know, that you've asked for, that you have said are medically necessary. This is actually this is we have a division happening in our field right now where it seems like some organizations uh, when they're submitting their service authorizations, um, if there's a distinction between what the provider thinks is medically necessary and what the caregiver can actually do, right? So you know, like mm-hmm. medically necessary, I think 30 hours of early intervention services. Caregiver says that's impossible. I, I can commit to 20 hours, right? What happens is some providers are requesting 30 hours of units, and then some are requesting the 20 hours, right? And so that makes and that makes a difference because then when the funders come out and they complain about treatment utilization, well, it's like comparing apples to oranges across the industry, right? right? It really depends on what was the basis of your recommendation, you know, your request. On our side, what we are looking for, by the way, um, is, when there is a distinction like that, you need to be documenting what's medically necessary and any barriers within your treatment plan's authorization request, right? So, and that is to designed to help the organization because if those barriers are addressed and you're only requesting what the parent can do, that's going to be a problem later on. And so things like that, we're trying to offer a little bit of foresight and to help out some of those organizations, especially those that may not quite have that experience yet. Another weird issue that's happening in the field, and I don't think this is true for more established providers, hopefully, uh, billing to a standard fee schedule. That also is one that, you know, shows up, right? So billing to the contracted rate versus having a standard fee schedule. And once again, I think these are issues that impact the industry, right? So if everyone's billing to the contracted rate and everybody's doing that, well, the funders are like, oh, it only not cost this much to be able to deliver this. Yes, service. yes. That's a problem for the yes. industry.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. I, I totally agree. Like that's part of you know the training say, that okay, we do. It's Steven. like come on, like, come on. You're like oh, you know what? Like we did that. We yeah, did that we did. for years. Yeah, like, we, we Why that. wouldn't you do that? And then you know we we were told you're doing this wrong, and, and then we did better, right? And so, but yeah, like yeah. across the board, like people are. Well, I get, you know, $50 uh, an hour for this. So why wouldn't I bill $50 an hour? Uh, but yeah, you have to build your standard rates. Super important. So I'm glad that you're coaching people through that because it's, yeah, it's yeah, going to help it's, us all.
1: It's so, yeah, it's it's, a, it's great because, I mean, that's uh, a lot of what you just said with, you know, like that's why I was like, Stephen, because like the <laughs> soapbox of, of like of the whole like uh, standard rates and it. like rate negotiation and stuff is like a conversation for another day. But like... Very, su- like, super important. Yeah. But I was just talking with – um we had our BCBA panel, and we were – that was our – we haven't aired it yet, but that was our um topic was recommended hours versus, like, mm. you know, like, what the kid can actually do or the family can do. And that, that was the consensus that, that, that most of the panel members, you know, said is, like, hey, you have to, you know, state the clinical recommendation, but then you have to – you know supply that that um the barriers, reasoning right. you know the reasoning of why like at their barriers of you know um you know, this or the fact that school is you know necessary and the kids in school right. um full time and so the hours are limited or right. whatever reason it is that not to decrease the hours or if you've heard rumor that a certain funder will only you know allow a certain amount before get kicking it to peer review please don't stop. <laughs> please don't use that magic number, please. But what is really That's actually needed recommended yeah. by your, you know, expertise yeah. for medical necessity. blah blah. Yeah. yeah. So both of these things are, are, are you know, conversations that yes. we've had recently and often. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so those are some general things. Obviously yeah. the, the, the other huge topic, which I think I've probably had more conversations about than anything else is around clinical outcomes. Okay. And how measurement around clinical outcomes happens. And I, I have to say, you know, it's um, this is a huge issue in our field mm. because we do not have good standardization around mm. how organizations should be tracking clinical outcomes. And it drives the funders crazy because, and it makes sense from their perspective, yeah. right? It's like, well, we're giving you all this money. Show us that your services are actually, you know, effective, right? Use these measures. Show that your services are effective. Here's the problem from the provider side there is no universal tool that's applicable or even tool set that's applicable across all the patients we serve. Furthermore, how you define set success on those tools, even if they are applicable, is not going to be the same across the patients you're serving. Mm-hmm. This gets into that piece again where we talk about individualized care. Yeah. And so one of the things that uh, ACQ has been doing, um, and we started this actually, I think the same month we, um, we actually opened for applications, is we know our standards need to be continually updated. And it takes a long time to develop standard Mm -hmm. sets, especially if you're going to do it right and make sure you are incorporating community feedback. Um, And so one of the steps we're doing to try to gather some feedback is we have formed work groups. And these work groups evaluate our standards from a particular perspective. Um, And so one of those work groups, for example, is looking at, you know, our standard around clinical outcomes and they're looking for ways to ensure that the, the clinical outcome standard that's being promoted is one that actually aligns and supports innovations while ensuring that the organization is actually coming up and using assessment tools that are relevant and applicable to the patients that they're serving. And so um, so they're working on draft recommendations now, uh, which will then be brought to the standards committee. The standards committee will, you know, evaluate it. And of course, we will continue to seek other public feedback. And once again, anybody can provide feedback at any point on any of our standards. I will meet with you to talk with you about it. Or you can just submit your feedback in writing through the contact page on our website. We want that feedback. It is helpful for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the approach right now. That the clinical outcomes work group is looking at is ensuring does the organization actually have a process in place to make decisions about which clinical ass- assessment tools are relevant to their patients? Right? So instead of saying you have to use the binary right. or you have to use you have to use a VB map or you have to use this, why not look and see if the organization has a documented decision-making process for determining which assessments are relevant to their individual patients? Here's the thing. We have had groups that have come out with like, have have looked at some very talented people looking at, you know, like, well, we have these assessment tools and these ones and organizations should be selecting from amongst these tools or these tools. That's too prescriptive. Also, those efforts, by the way, they don't overlap. So two groups in particular, I think they identified together around 34 different assessments, somewhere around there. And of those that overlapped, similar goals, to try to identify relevant autism outcome assessment measures, through only three of the measures overlapped. Hmm. <laughs> that, that, that in and of itself indicates that we might have a problem right. here. And so instead, why not look and let the decision about which assessment to be used should be on the provider that's actually delivering the service? Yeah. Right? And so, but... Here's the thing, we need to make sure that there's some accountability around that. Because it can't just be like, well, I'm going to use this tool that I just made up over here and look, they scored a 10 on that, you know, that means they're, you know, I'm doing a great job. This is where accreditation can come in. And accreditation can actually evaluate the systems that they're using to determine which assessment tools are going to be relevant for their patients. And then we can call them out if it's like, you know that that don't sound right. I don't your rationale for why you're choosing that assessment does not seem correct right. we need to talk about this. And so I think that's one of the ways as an independent evaluator ACQ can come in and help to look to see what organizations are doing while still permitting organizations to Be innovative
1: yeah. and to
2: make the decisions about their patients that they're serving
1: Yeah, that's amazing that's I'm really glad to hear that you guys are working on that. It's a big deal. I mean, we we started um, we did a beginners like KPI, KPI. course, and um, that was one of the big things was measuring outcomes, right. and I mean, it's huge. Yeah. Come encompasses so much.
2: Yeah,
1: but yeah. Um, everyone was kind of dumbfounded. Right. I don't know. I don't know how to measure that. And um, you know, or even with like a company that's like say early intervention. Um, oh, well we're early intervention, so we're use the VB map the end. You know?
2: It, it, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. Right? So what you have is like why are you so the question becomes why are why are you using this assessment? Or what assessments are you using with your patients? Well, I'm using the, you know, the VB map or the vitamin. why are you using that? Cuz the funder requires it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: That is wrong. That is not how this should work. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: This should work with you identifying the assessments that are relevant to the patients you're serving, and I think having that where there has to be a documented decision-making process will force organization organizational providers to actually engage with the assessments that they're using, as opposed to just using them to check off a box required by the funder. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It opens the opportunity to ask questions, right? And I think when people are asking questions, they're they're a little bit more mindful and they're like, Well, okay, why are we doing this? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I, I think that can be helpful across the board.
1: I mean, I think that's the thing throughout this whole conversation yes. that I'm hearing from you, Eric, is like curiosity. We're yes. asking a lot of questions. Like there's yeah. no yes. right or wrong per se. We just want to know. We want to know how yes. you got there. Yes. <laughs> what, yes. what are you thinking? Like what yeah. are you gonna do differently next time? Yeah. Um and, and I know we're 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 running here, we like, like we're minutes, yeah, now. we're um heading to the end of this, but I just can't resist. <laughs> um I would just like to know one of my big passions is like developmental understanding like you know uh-huh. um understanding of like developmental milestones and um you know I feel like a lot of times in our field that um as BCBAs we may not have that information and so like when we're looking at outcomes and we're looking at assessments and we're looking at you know um providing the right level of service and care for the individuals, the individualized service. How important do you feel that developmental appropriateness, like what what part does that? what role does that play in it? And is that something that um, you guys are looking at in any way within ACQ standards?
2: Yeah, so I, I think great question. And I think where that is built in is when we have questions about like what are the variables you consider when you're choosing the assessments that are relevant to kind. your patients? Right? And so like developmental appropriateness, right? This is this is something that is appropriate for these patients that we're serving. That would be a relevant variable that an organization could consider when they're choosing what assessments to use, mm-hmm. right? Um, And then just, I think, also the developmental appropriateness, I guess, in the sense that, um, you know, what treatment protocols Mm -hmm. are you using Mm with this person? How are you incorporating um, the caregivers that may or may not be involved, depending on which patient population you're serving? I think there's uh, issues around consent and assent. Yes. Those types of issues also come into play here. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I really like about the way the Standards Committee approached our standards is, and it makes it challenging as well from the reviewer's Mm -hmm. side, but it does allow for um, differing pathways to verifying mm-hmm. that the organization meets those standards. So it allows the reviewers to take into consideration the contextual variables that the organization is operating. Under. OK. That doesn't mean there's an excuse for everything. Right. Right. But it does provide us with some flexibility to see if the rationale that's provided makes sense under with underneath the context that the organization is operating mm-hmm. under. And so I think there's plenty of opportunities there within, within the standard set for developmental appropriateness mm-hmm. to play a role.
1: great. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: Uh, right. We really appreciate your time, but before we leave, is there anything that
2: we missed or that you
0: would like to add um, uh, before we go?
2: I, I guess what I would say is here's the thing. Uh, thank you for serving our field. Um, I think one of the things I've learned over the last uh, two years I've been doing this now it is very, very difficult to run an ABA organization, um, and it requires a certain level of commitment and passion that I have a, I just have the utmost respect for. Um, and so thank you for serving the field. Um, download our standards if you want to know a little bit more, um, and if you want to go a little bit further and you want to talk with us about conducting a third-party evaluation, we are around. Um, and if not, and you just have feedback to provide on our standards or our processes, we're always open to hearing it. It is important that we remain accountable to the community we serve, and we are committed to that. And so thank you all very much for the opportunity, and I hope to hear from some of you soon. So, and I have one
0: more question because I thought about sure. it and I forgot, and I thought about it again. Is there, like, do you see, like, an ideal age at which you would want to see these companies come in? Is it like, okay, you've been open for three months. It's it's too it's too early.
2: Um, well, oh, it's a, it's a great, great question. We actually have an eligibility. Card. Okay, great. So, okay. You do, by the way, I mentioned we're supported by CAST. We do not need to be a CAST member to a, a, apply for accreditation. That's completely, that's just something different. Um, and become a CAST member. I'm obligated to say that. CAST is <laughs> a, a wonderful organization. Yeah. Um, but ACQ is uh, a separate organization, so there's no membership requirements to apply for accreditation. Um, and before an organization can apply, uh, we accredit ABA as a healthcare care service, so know that. Um, and the organization has to be in operation for at least a year. Okay. Okay. And any of the locations that are included in the application would need to be in operation uh, for at least six months offering ABA services. Cool.
1: Great. Okay. Well, that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's great. To yeah. Add,
2: yeah. I should have said that earlier. Well, uh, yeah,
1: I mean, you know, <laughs> we're covering a lot of ground here in a short yes. amount of time. Yeah. Um, but no, that's good to know because, I mean, you can still use those. Use the resources here as you're, you know, starting. You're building your, your yeah, company, yeah, but that you have to have yeah. some some experience out yeah. of your belt for yes. you guys to be able to yes. ask the questions yeah. that you need to ask to
0: see. I'm sure the <laughs> amount of evidence that you yeah. would even need to see to see if everyone's following what they say to that they have. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah.
2: Cool. You know, the, the, by, by the way, I'm, I'm going to give you all a personal challenge here too. The request for feedback also directly applies to you all. Okay. Uh, especially as as consultants are working in the field, you all have contact with a variety of different organizations. Your feedback is very very useful to us because you're seeing a smattering of things that, you know, the maybe the single owner may not be mm-hmm. seeing, right, or somebody the single individual. So, if you have any feedback, um, like please send it over. That's that collaboration piece. I think we were talking yes. about earlier. Yes, yeah.
1: so important. Yeah, and Steven's been he's carved out like he's blocked.
0: Five hours a week
1: periods of time going yes. through the yeah, reviews through. and we've had some really good conversation around it. Yes. So yeah, we'll definitely um, send any feedback your way as it comes, comes up. But thank you so much, Eric, for joining us Absolutely, today. Yeah. I really enjoyed this and um, it, it's nice to to learn more about the program and yeah.
2: Thank you for the time. I appreciate I uh, appreciate chatting with y'all. Thank you for listening to our
0: podcast. Hopefully it was helpful. If you would like to gain access to this entire video and actually our entire library of videos, please join our ABA Business Leaders membership. You can find that at www3